John chapter 4, we're going to do uh, verses 27 to 42. And uh, this is what I've been preaching. I've been preaching through the book of John in a walk-up line. And so you get to have a little bit of a snapshot of a little bit of what I'm preaching in Mexico. And so uh, we believe that preaching through books of the Bible is important to walk through with God's people, uh, God's Word, and to go and, and explain what it's saying. And so we're going to read John chapter 4, verses 27 to 42. Okay, go ahead and stand for the reading of God's Word. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman. But no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of Him who sent me and to accomplish His work. Do you not say there are yet four months, then harvest comes? Look, I tell you, lift your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving his wages and gathering fruit for eternal life. So the sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days, and many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you have said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for the opportunity to share your word. Thank you for us gathering together, Father, and worshiping you. Please guide us, Father to understand this word. Please open up hearts and minds and spiritual eyes to see you in a better way today, Father. We want to magnify you. We want to put you first, Father. You are worthy. Please help me, Father, to proclaim you, to preach you, to teach you rightly and what is in this word in John. Father, thank you for this day. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. Okay, so this is the first time I have preached in English in um, five months. And so if I go into Spanish, I'm sorry. I don't mean to. I would just now pray and like I almost said, I almost went into Spanish. So if I do, I'm not speaking in tongues. It's another language. So, okay. Um, yeah, so John uh, chapter 4, verses 27 to 42. I've got three points, Okay. And then conclusion, which is really a fourth point. So three points. Um, the first one is culture. Let's just dive right in. Okay. The first one is culture. Uh, my goal here is to share what I'm preaching in a walk at line, but then also uh, to to share because this I'm at, we're we're in chapter five in a walk at line right now, 
But as we were going through this text uh, last month, I saw there's so many great commission connections here. And I was like, I knew I was coming back to the States. I was like, I'm going to use this text to talk, because there's some things about Mexico I can talk about here. Uh, and give you a snapshot of what this missionary is doing on the field. I'm not sharing my opinions. I'm pointing to what does the scripture say. And that's important. And I'm working through books of the Bible. Um, so that's my goal here. And so also, this text I actually preached uh, twice for one hour. So two hours teaching on the same text. So I'm going to go really fast because there's, there's a lot to get through here. So for starting, uh, point number one is culture. Okay? Culture. Verse 27. Now before we read this, uh, I need to give you a little bit of recap. Jesus is talking to uh, the woman at the well. This is a really famous passage in the scriptures. And this woman was coming to the well in the middle of the day, okay? And a lot of uh, commentators write she probably came there in the middle of the day because she was ashamed, okay? And as Jesus was talking to her, he, he, he uh, rightly pointed out her past. He said, you've had five husbands, and the, one, and the man you're living with now is not your husband. And so this woman more than likely was ashamed. She was an outcast. Because typically in that culture, you would go at the end of the day when it's cooler to the well to get water. And so she's going middle of the day. Jesus is there. And then he says, if you knew who I was, you would be asking me for living water. Okay? That's important to understand here. And he's obviously talking about himself. Um, and then she brings up, it, she brings up uh, theological differences. So Samaria is considered like a half-breed to the Jewish people. The Jewish people considered Samaria's that those people, those people that live over there. They're not fully Jewish. They're half-breeds. And there was a racism. There was a tension there. And so even the fact that Jesus was talking to a Samaritan was huge. And that's what it says before this text. It's like Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And so the fact that Jesus was talking to her was a huge deal. Okay, and so verse 27, Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, What do you seek? Why are you talking with her? Okay, so in chapter 4, we already see that it's a big deal that Jesus is talking to a Samaritan at all. And then here, John goes out of his way to show that the disciples are shocked that he's talking, talking to a woman. Okay? And this is important because we all live in a culture. If you grow up in a culture, sometimes it's hard to see what culture you're in. If you travel outside of the States or even just up north or out west, you see a different culture. And a lot of times we have blind spots in our culture. There's things that the culture does that maybe God doesn't like. Maybe it's not good. And sometimes we go with the flow. And this, John goes out of his way to kind of check us, to shake us. Like, here's a culture in, the, in Israel 2,000 years ago where Jews don't talk to Samaritans. Men don't talk to women in public. And Jesus breaks that. He breaks that. And, it, and it's important to see with this culture is that Jesus doesn't put up with the sin that's in the culture. And that's true for South Carolina, 
And that's true for the Huasteca. That's the region in Mexico we're in. There's, there's things that may be wrong in the culture, and we need to speak against it lovingly, but also speak against it. Like, this is wrong. We're not just going to go with the flow. This woman was broken, but Jesus spoke to her because her soul was more important than just going with the flow of the culture. And if there's sin that is killing people in a culture, we need to say, no, that will send you to hell. That's wrong. That will kill you. Please stop. Because the soul is more important than the culture and just going with the flow. And we need to use wisdom to do that with love. Okay? So that's important. What else I want to show about culture here is that Christ will redeem every single culture on planet earth. We see that promise in John chapter 7, verses 9 and 10. It, uh, it's, a, it's a future vision John sees. John also wrote Revelation. And he sees a future day, and it says that every single tribe, every single language will be represented before the throne. How did John know it was every single tribe on planet earth? How did he know it was every single language? Because they were identified as that. So, so in fact, Christianity actually redeems culture. I think this is important to point out because in the world, if you say, hey, I'm a missionary, some people think you mean, oh, you're just going to go tell people what to do to conform to your culture. It's actually the opposite. Christ, Christianity, redeems every culture. Every culture will be represented before the throne for all eternity. Every culture will be represented in the bride of Christ for all eternity. And I get to go and be a part of that. And you as the church sending get to be a part of that. And here in South Carolina, this culture, you are part of Christ's bride here. And so every culture will be redeemed one day. But it doesn't stop there. Every culture will be redeemed, but it's also being sanctified. So Christ did not go with the flow here in Samaria. He broke those, those, those um, cultural uh, mandates or the unspoken rules. He broke those so that He could share the gospel with this woman. And the same thing is true for us. He, he doesn't want us to go with the flow of what the culture may do that God hates. We need to make sure that we are being a light where we're at. And so I think that's important to point out. And so one last thing I want to look at with culture is uh, some culture in, in Mexico. Uh, I came across this this past week. It's from Voice of the Martyrs. And uh, it says this, Central Mexico encompasses 115 counties, eight states. It's made up of states like the U.S. This region, which is right in the, the very center of Mexico, goes across. This region is dubbed the Circle of Silence because fewer than 1% of its residents identify as biblical followers of Christ. Fewer than 1%. The population of Mexico is 129 million, and about 51% of the population of Mexico lives in central Mexico. So, quick math, about 60 million. At least 60 million people live in the central of 
Mexico. 1%, less than 1%, less, fewer than 1% of its residents identify as biblical followers of Christ. There's a strong culture of Christo-paganism, a centratistic blend of ancient pagan practices and Roman Catholicism. It is a welcoming place for business and tourism, but Christians are targeted and attacked. Pray for God to open doors for, of favor for pastors and missionaries choosing to live and minister in central Mexico. And I'm not saying that to get a, a pity party. I'm, I'm saying that to show you what this culture is like, where we are at, where we are serving. Because a lot of people, if you do a quick Google, uh, what religion is Mexico? It's going to say 99% Catholicism. You're like, well, they're reached. Let's go somewhere else. But there's more to that. The Catholicism that is in Mexico is not, first off, it's not the same in Europe. It's actually the Catholicism that is in Mexico was exported before the Reformation in the 1500s. So what you see in Mexico are the very same problems that Martin Luther was writing against in his 95 Theses. People think they can pay the church to pay for sins. But what makes it even worse is when uh, they went down there and brought Catholicism with it, not all of them, but most of them used it as a way to control the people. And so like the, if, you, if you study Israel during the Roman Empire, the Roman Empire would conquer a country or a people and they would say, okay, your gods are my, your, we'll take some of your gods, but these are our gods and we'll, we all worship all these gods together. And if your gods were with the controlling uh, military, then you could control the people. And so it's what, it's what Spain did when they conquered Mexico. They went to the Aztecs and they said, oh, oh, uh, Guadalupana, that Aztec deity, that's the same thing as Mother Mary. The, the, you do sacrifices for fertility to this God? Yeah, that's the same as Mother Mary. And so there's this syncretism. When you see Mother Mary in Mexico, it's not a biblical version of that. And so they pray to Mary, they do sacrifices to Mary, and they call it Guadalupana. And so it is this syncretism, this blend of paganism. And unfortunately, it's, unfortunately, it's perverting the gospel. And, and yeah, so this is some of the culture that we deal with. A lot of mysticism, still praying to spirits and to, um, yeah. And, and so that's a lot of what we deal with. And it's sad because um, we, it's almost like we have to fight on both sides because so many times people will come in and call themselves Christians, but they're preaching a different gospel. And with one with the Roman Catholicism, where it's this paganism mixing in these uh, different spirits to pray to, or on the more charismatic end, where people will come in and claiming to be apostles, modern-day apostles. And they'll say things like, you have to perform miracles to be saved. To say that uh, now the apostles are head of the church and you have to listen to us and say that there are new revelations that be, can be written. And so we, we have to fight and say, no, this is, this is the Bible. This is where we are. We're not going to go, we're not going to mix in with the culture 
and, and add to it to Scripture, nor are we going to say that um, we can add to Scripture on this end with modern-day apostles. We want, to, we want to be biblical. And so that's kind of the, the culture in a snapshot of what we are, are dealing with in Mexico. Okay, the second thing is evangelism. Verses 28 to 30. So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Okay, um, I really want to point out here is this is a beautiful example of what evangelism looks like. Um, growing up, a lot of well-meaning Christians uh, came up with methods like, okay, this is what you need to do. And, and, and I don't want to throw all those methods under the bus because if that's what works, great, use a method. But at the end of the day, your confidence must not be in a method. It needs to be like what this woman did. She experienced Christ and then was ready to share Christ. And the same is true for us today. Um, one thing, that for me, this is what I like to do. In the morning, get into the Word. Read the Word. Read the Bible. Pray. And be filled up. You've heard the old thing, you can't pour out of an empty glass. Be filled. Go to God. Meet with Him. Find something beautiful in His Word. Spend time in prayer. Just find something that's just like, wow, look at that verse. I never saw that before. Meditate on it. I'll, I'll usually journal, write something down about it, and then I have something to share that day. And so meet with God, fill up your cup, and then you're ready to share that with others. And, so, and that's essentially what this woman did. She met with Christ. Christ confronted her sin. And then she heard about living water. And then she was ready to go share that with others. Um, so this is real evangelism, is filling up, meeting Christ, then going and sharing Him with others. Uh, a lot of times, I like this illustration. It helps me when I think about evangelism because um, for me, just the methods don't work. And I, I don't want to throw them under the bus, but it, for some people they do work. But for me, um, a lot of times you just don't have 30 minutes to sit down with somebody to share them every single thing about the gospel or an hour. It, it, sometimes we do. Let's take those opportunities and let's share everything. But me and a friend, we call it, we're putting pebbles in people's shoes. And so when I used to live here, I had a, a carpentry business. And I had the opportunity to meet people, several people every day. And I didn't have time to spend 30 minutes or an hour sharing the, as much as I could about the gospel. Typically, five minutes here, two minutes here. And I just said it's like putting pebbles in people's shoes. Just share a truth. A truth that might be a little bit uncomfortable. And until they stop and deal with that truth, they're going to be uncomfortable. Putting pebbles in people's shoes. So it could be something, it's just like, uh, you know, there's only one God. Saying something like that. To somebody in our world, especially in South Carolina, as it's becoming more and more not religious, saying there's only one God could be a truth pebble for somebody. Or it could be like, Christ is the only way to heaven. There's only one mediator between God and man, Christ Jesus. That might be a little truth pebble. And so for me, that may be helpful for you, is um, we're called to evangelize. And sometimes we don't have 30 minutes to an hour to share. 
sometimes just drop a truth pebble in somebody's shoe. Because God may use that, a lot of truth from here and there, to draw them to himself. But, yes. Okay, so um, the other thing I want to point out here is uh, verse 28. It says, So the woman left her water jar and went away. And then also in verse 31 to 34. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me to accomplish his work. And what we see here is this work is more important than food and drink. Now, God knows we need food and drink, but at the end of the day, what's more important? This message that saves people's souls, gives glory to God, or food and drink? And we see this woman met Christ, and the whole reason she's at the well is to do what? Get some water. John wrote this for a reason. She left her water jar. She left it. It must be pretty important for him to put it in the Scriptures. She left her water jar. Why? To go share Christ. This is the best news in the world. The gospel literally means good news. And it is the best news in the world. And it is more important than food or drink. And that's essentially what Jesus is saying here. To accomplish the work is more important than food. Or in the... um, when uh, Satan was tempting Christ uh, after Christ fasted for 40 days and Satan said, turn the, 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 the stones into bread. And he said, um, man shall not live on bread alone. And he's quoting Deuteronomy. And, and it, again, it shows us that God's word is living. It's active. And it's more important than material things. And in fact, that's why we're called to fast in the scriptures. It's a way to tell our bodies, hey, this is more important. Satisfy your soul in God to tell your body, this is more important. Take a hold on food just for a little bit so we can satisfy into the Word of God. And I know that can be kind of foreign. Sometimes we don't talk about fasting a lot. And so if you've never done it, I encourage you just one meal. One meal, just one meal, go, instead of eating physical food, go to the bread of life. Go to the scriptures and read it and pray and let your soul be satisfied and fill, fill yourself with God. Um, yes, because this is more important than food or drink. Um, as I was studying this, I was reminded of a quote uh, from C.T. Studd. He was a missionary and he wrote this poem. Only one life to live will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Oh, let my love with fervor burn, and from the world now let me turn, living for thee and thee alone, bringing thy pleasure on thy throne. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, yes, only one. Now let me say, thy will be done. And when at last I hear the call, I know I'll say it was worth it all. Only one life, 
it will soon be past. Only what's done for Christ will last. This news, the gospel, is more important than food or drink. This woman left her water jar to go share Christ. Number three, working together. Working together. Verses 35 to 38. Do you not say there are four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes. See, the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving his wage and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that the sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor." This is one of the first images we see in the New Testament about the church working together. And um, quickly, I spent a whole sermon on this, this part. Very quickly, I just want to look at this a little bit deeper. Uh, the first one is, I'm reminded of Matthew chapter 9, the very last verses in Matthew chapter 9, verses 37 and 38. And Jesus said, uh, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are full. Pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out more workers. And I remembered, this always struck me because God is sovereign. God is in control. God knows everything. Why does Christ tell us to pray to God to send more workers? Doesn't God already know? He doesn't need us to tell Him, hey, you need to send somebody to Iraq. But God knows who needs to be sent and where they need to be sent. Why is Jesus going out of His way to tell us to pray for this? And the answer is, He wants us to want what He wants. He wants us to pray for the nations. It's easy to stay in our lane and only think about uh, Fountain Inn or the Huasteca where I'm at. It's easy to only think about where we are at. And we need to be remembered to pray for the nations because Christ is calling us to work together here in this image of sowing and reaping we are working together with the universal church and we need to be praying for others to be sent to go to other places where there are no churches. And God wants us to want what He wants. He cares about our desires and He wants us to pray to have our desires in line with Him. That's one thing. The other thing is another time we see this illustration of this sowing and reaping and planting is in 1 Corinthians. And I'm going to turn there, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. If you have God's Word, please turn there with me. If not, you can listen. Uh, and so, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 6, 7, 8, 9. Verse 6. And Paul was writing to the Corinthian church. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we, have God's fellow, we are God's fellow workers, and are God's field, God's building. Okay, so... This, this is showing us a couple of things. First off, God gets the glory. We have different people working, but God gets the glory. Anytime that we are trying to take glory for it, it doesn't look good. 
and it actually talks about that in this next section. Um, so God gets the glory for it, A number one. Um, we're working together. Paul lays this out. He said, I planted a wallow, uh, Apollos watered. And uh, verse 9, he says, you are God's field. And then he uses another one, God's building. And I think it's really important to look at these different illustrations to understand what Christ is saying in John 4. So let's, re- let's keep reading. Verses 10 through 15. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire." and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. And I I think right here, this is referring to how we build the church. In the past, when I was younger, I thought this was talking about like evidence of salvation. And I don't think that works because Matthew chapter 7 says you will be judged by your fruits. So it's clear, and 1 John teaches that if you're a Christian, you will have evidence. Not perfection, but you will have evidence. Okay, so that's not what this is saying. This is saying how we build the church. Okay, so people who work to build their own ministry, to say, hey, look at me. Look how great I am, man. Look how many people I saved. That kind of work's going to be burned up on judgment day or people who work through means that aren't right. We need to make sure that our ministry is biblical, 100% biblical. And when we go to try to use the world's methods to build the church, that's wood, hay, and straw. But when we're biblical, and sometimes, sometimes it's slow to be biblical. But if we're going to say, hey, we're going to do this healthy, we're going to submit our ministry to the Word of God, and if it says to do it this way, even though it may not seem right to the world standards, we're going to do it this way. That's building with gold and silver that will last for all eternity because the church is Christ's bride. Christ deserves to have a pure bride. And we're building something for Him, and we, we, we need His help. It's, a, it's amazing. Christ calls us to do the work, and then He gives us the Holy Spirit to do the work. We're completely dependent on Him. And when we go to the world's methods, we're building something that will just be burnt up. So we need to make sure that we're being biblical. One last thing I want to talk about this section is, um, is talking about building up the church. It, it, so Paul goes from a field to a building, construction. Um, And I want to look at one other verse. You can turn there if you want to. It's Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 and 20. Paul goes into this illustration a little bit further. Okay? And, yeah. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 and 20. Verse 19. So then you, I'm sorry, if I'm reading it too quick, like not waiting long enough. The church we have in Mexico, he does like 20 scripture references. And, and like we don't have a screen. And it's like the people in that church, like 
you like Bible drill. It's just like, and he's reading it. I was like, I'm trying to find the New Testament. And so he's rubbed off on me a little bit. So Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 and 20. Okay, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints, members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Okay, and I want to go back a little bit to what I said earlier about culture, how there's a lot of people more on the charismatic end in Mexico claiming to be apostles. And they don't mean missionaries. They mean like one of the twelve. This clearly says that the foundation of the church is built on apostles and prophets. Okay. When you build a foundation, you don't keep building it. When you pour this floor, you don't have to keep pouring it. You change. Okay, now when you start doing the beams, when you start doing the walls, we'll do painting, we'll do electrical, we'll do plumbing, we'll do the roof. It's different. And it's the, same, it's the same with Christianity. For 2,000 years, it has been expanding across the globe. But first, the foundation had to be laid. What is the foundation? The foundation is the apostles and prophets. And that is essentially the New Testament. Who wrote the New Testament? It was the apostles and prophets. We don't add to the foundation. There's no, more, there's no more apostles. Revelation uh, chapter 21, verse 14 says there's only 12 apostles. Okay? So you don't add to the apostles, and you don't add to books of the Bible. The, the work of the apostles and prophets is our New Testament. We should be building our church on the New Testament. That's the foundation. And so I think this is important because when you see what Christ is saying in John chapter 4 about us working together, we need to make sure that we're doing it biblical. We're building the church. We're working together. We're building on the foundation. And I don't have time to go here, but it also says in, um, Paul goes into this further in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12, and it says that the saints are called to do this work. We have a responsibility to help grow the church and to build the church. And saints just means Christians. And so we together have that opportunity to grow the church, to go and proclaim Christ where we're at, and to send others across the globe. And my last point in John chapter 4 is this last section. And this is concluding... Um, and I'll go ahead and ask the band to come up to, um, as we close. Um, this last section is verses 39 to 42. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It's no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves. We know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. And what's important here is that their salvation doesn't save you. Your parents' salvation doesn't save you. 
Your pastor's salvation doesn't save you. The priest at the church doesn't save you. Do you know Christ? Do you know Christ? Has there been a time where you said, I'm going to confess my sins, repent and believe, put my faith in Christ alone to save me, not going to trust in going here or that I can pay for it. The good news is that Christ paid it all. Christ paid it all. Repent and believe in Him. Christ is, it says in Hebrews that Christ is seated at the right hand of God, ready to listen, ready to pardon your sins. We don't have to go anywhere else. It's not going to make any good if we go anywhere else. We can't go pray to other spirits. It's not going to do it. Christ, who is God, is sitting at the right hand. He died on the cross and suffered and took the wrath of Almighty God to pay for our sins. And He is ready to forgive. Repent and believe the gospel. Repent and believe the gospel. That's what it says in Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. Jesus comes. He says, the kingdom of God is here. Repent and believe the gospel. That's how we're saved. There's room to join this church and to grow it, to proclaim the gospel, to fight against culture when it calls us to follow man and to lovingly push back and say, no, I'm not going there. Christ is worthy. Repent and believe the gospel. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for the opportunity to share. Please forgive me, Father, if there's anything I've said that was not helpful. I pray, Father, that you would use um, this message to honor you, to, to encourage the saints, Father. If there's a sinner here, uh, an unrepentant sinner, Father, that you would use this to convict them and draw them to you. God, you were good. You were worthy to be praised. Thank you for the opportunity to share. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.